It's noon, and it's time for Open Journal, KPFT's experiment in community-inspired radio, where listeners like you come to KPFT to produce their own programs. Sometimes it's talk, sometimes it's music, sometimes it's controversial. But Open Journal is always eclectic and always KPFT. At the end of the hour, we'll tell you how you can support this station and host a program. Stay tuned for Open Journal after headlines from London. This is commercial-free listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio, KPFT, Houston, Radio for Peace. Hello, this is Chris and Rachel Dingfield, and we're activists with the Houston Rainforest Action Network, and we want to bring a program to you today um, titled The War on Appalachia. This is KPFT Houston, always commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio, uh, 90.1 in Houston and 89.5 in Galveston. And with us today, we will have um, Ed Wiley. He's a uh, grandfather in Appalachia, and he's with Pennies for Promise. How you doing, Chris? Oh, pretty good, Ed. How are you? Oh, fine, fine. Good day down here in the mountains. Um, your your family has been in Appalachia for generations. Is that right? Yeah, I I talk about uh, at least 300 years worth of grandmothers that I know of here and several before that but uh, I know of the three that I can talk about and actually met two of them um, Could you give us a little bit of a background on your organization? Uh, the Pains of Problems program is uh, created to it's a fundraiser to build a new school at Marsh Fork Elementary. We have an elementary school here that has 220 little children in it. And my granddaughter did uh, attend this school. It was K through 5. And uh, what's going on with the school, there is a coal processing plant directly behind it within 250 feet. And there's also a toxic sludge dam where they're cleaning the coal and actually <clears throat> storing it in a holler uh, held back by a slate dam that's 370 foot tall. Uh, there's 2.8 billion gallons of toxic waste. And directly behind the impoundment, we have over an 1,800-acre mountaintop removal site that throws many threats to the kids. And there's also the silo issue uh, sets within 150 feet of the school uh, it, it causes many threats to these children. So our organization is opinionsofpromise.org. We are a fundraiser to help build uh, a new Marsh Fork Elementary. Our governor, he refuses to help us. Uh, the county and state school board is not doing uh, the proper job for these children. And uh, I've also talked to Senator Byrd on this issue. We've gotten lots of national attention on it, but we haven't got anybody to step up and actually help us uh, with this problem. But uh, we, we're we a fundraiser to build a new Marsh Fork Elementary in our community in a safe environment for our children. Our, our children deserve a chance. Uh, uh, they're educated. They have computer skills, and, and they're, they're no different than any other child in America. They deserve the same chance as any other child. Okay, it's also my understanding that these um, sludge impoundment dams are not an actual marvels of engineering um has there been times in the past where these things have uh given away yes there was an incident just across the mountain from here uh when you look at the flyover pictures at each one of these sites uh the buffalo creek incident uh it killed 125 children there 
and teachers and, and people. They're mostly children in a school. And it's set below a sludge impoundment. This one here is a slate impoundment. They distract the slate from the coal. Uh, they were hauling it up there in trucks and scattering it and using a dozer push to spread it around. Then they cut costs back and put a belt line up there, and it made it difficult for the dozer man to, you know, do his job properly and walk his stuff in and spread it. And even with that, it takes a, a right amount of dirt, proper material to uh, get a 95% compaction. This dam here has over 240 violations by the federal government, significant, substantial, certain occurrences happen. This thing will fail, and 977 lives will be perished. And these children will be the first ones that get it. They'll never, ever be found to give if they gives away. And could you give our listeners a little bit of background on what exactly mountaintop removal is and what kind of chemicals you can find in these slurry impoundments? Well, the mountaintop removal, uh, there's two types. There's steep slope mining and there's mountaintop removal where they take off the tops. They go in and they clear cut the timber and they're not letting the timber out now. They're, they're actually shutting down mines. They're wanting to open up so many new mines. They'll actually shut down businesses by keeping the, the timber back and they're burying it in these valley fields. This is where you have a stream that's been there for thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> And they put the timber down into there. They're shoving it down in there with the dozers. They're burying it. They're burning it. And this could be used for jobs or jobs that's already existing. So they're actually keeping the timber back, and the mills are shutting down. Uh, once they remove the timber, they go in and remove what they call the overburden. And they take a big dozer, and they start moving all the loose dirt, all the rock, down into this valley field again, burying the stream again. So uh, all this goes down in there. Then they uh, they do what they call a core drill. They know exactly how many feet each layer of coal is. It lays in there in seams, and they know how thick. So what they do, they drill down to that layer of coal. Then they blast uh, the mountain off. And we're talking thousands and thousands of acres. There's been over 200 miles of streams buried already by mountaintop removal. And they just repeat this process. Everything gets pushed into this big valley field. And uh, it's going to destroy uh, the nation's water. This is streams that, that, that feed out of these mountains and, and, and supply water for around the nation. And it's depleting and, and taking away from the streams. Once they get to the coal and take it to the processing plant, they, they use many chemicals to distract chemicals from the coal, such as lead, arsenic, aluminum, manganese, uh, uranium, uh, it, it's really terrible. Behind the Marsh Fork School, Dr. Benjamin Stout, uh, we have got samples for him there, and they was tested, and there was 17 heavy metals come out of this toxic waste, and all of them was uh, over the national standards by a 1,000 or more uh, over the national standards. Sitting behind these kids at school, the lead was really high there, and when they build these dams, they're building them in the front of these hollers. So you have a stream that's been there for thousands of years. They go in and clean out the holler with all the overburden and loose dirt. Then they start piling this slate up, and they're pumping the toxic waste from the coal. This is where they're coming up with clean coal technology. They're cleaning the coal so we can burn it better, but we're also putting it in the middle of a stream. We're depleting the nation's water supply. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really a shame that they're, they're, they're putting this there and pumping it into the streams. These eventually uh, seep back into the main rivers. 
But we got 17 heavy metals, and they was all real toxic and cancer-causing metals. And that's the process of their clean coal technology. Once they blow the mountains off and, and get the coal, they're filling up the valleys and the streams there, and they're also building the dams to put the toxic waste in. There is no such thing as clean coal technology. And we feel here in the mountains that this is some of the best water in the nation, and the, the nation needs to step up and look at this. You know, what we're facing here, water is a very crucial thing, and, and there's lots of people going to need it, and, and we need to protect the Appalachian Mountains just for that reason. Um, how, how much success have you had in um, trying to get a new school built in Marsh Fork? How much success? Yeah. We have none. We've raised over $10,000 ourselves to build these kids a new school. We've uh, we've asked everybody from the health departments to the state school board, the county school boards. We went to the governor's office many times. We've been arrested down here at the governor's office doing civil disobedience. If you go to penniesofpromise.org, you can see video of it there. And other work that we've done, we've been three and a half years, right at four years now, drawing awareness to Marsh Fork and even our senator, uh, Senator Byrd, this is his hometown. He's had many, many opportunities to help these children and and he brings millions of dollars into West Virginia every year for roads and, and, and other schools. Uh, they just build a school in remembrance of his wife and there's a couple technology <coughs> schools and, and he could get this money for these children if, if he would. Uh, but they got the dollar bill is blinded them in the politics. It's just got them blinded from so many years of it. They can't see to do the right thing. And, and I really pray for Senator Byrd. He, he is a great man. He is who he is. And he's an old Appalachian. And I really believe in him. But I, I fear, uh, for him on judgment day that he, he may not make it through heaven's gates because he didn't do the right thing. And, and he stands strong on the book of constitutions and he stands strong on the Bible. And, and, the, and the both books tell you you have to obey manly laws as well as the Bible laws. And, and the governor and, and Senator Burr both took a, a sworn oath now to protect the land and the people of the, the state that they're representing. And, and, and I really pray for him a lot that you know, that he can see to do the right things for his children. He, you, you can't help to think that he, you can't hurt the man's reputation. He is who he is, and it's not going to hurt him to rock the boat on this and, and move his children in a safe place in our community. It's a, a small ask to save lives, $5 million, and uh, that's very, very little money to to save lives. And that's what we're doing here, ensuring our children a good, safe Education and healthy environment in their community, uh, you know, to learn and, and to be somebody in life. And so, what can the people of Houston do to help the children of Marsh Fork Elementary Ed? Well, there's there's many ways. There's uh, a lot of schools in New York becoming sister schools. They're doing fundraisers. Uh, there's many things. Uh, I'm about to tear up here on you. Uh, people can get involved and do fundraisers. They can write their senators. They can write. Uh, they can write our Senator Byrd. Uh, there's Margaret Spelling in Washington, D.C. She's head of all the schools in the United States. Uh, she was on the front cover of Marsh, uh, and so was Marsh Fork Elementary to the American School Board Journal. And I have made many attempts to talk to her and, and never get a return phone call from her office. And 
uh, it, it's sad, you know, but people can step up and, and, and help, you know, write letters, make phone calls to their congressmen and centermen, anything to draw attention to Marsh work, do fundraisers, uh, any organizations that want to get involved in, in, in trying to help build a school. We're born happy. We, we invite everybody. There's many, many environmental groups around the nation. There's people overseas that's gotten involved. Uh, Australia and Europe calls and, and, and tries to help. We get small donations, but every penny counts, and, and that's what it's going to take to save these children's lives. And uh, it, it, there's many things people can do. To just go to the website and look and, and, and get involved. And, and what's that out. website again, Ed? It's pennyspromise.org. And you can click around on there. There's different places you can click around, and you'll find places where uh, you can sign up to, to be involved, to be a sister school. Uh, my personal phone number is on the back of that pamphlet uh, in the, on the website there. So uh, feel free to call me anytime. And uh, anything that anybody could do or, or to, to help uh, save these children's lives. And it's just not about the Marsh Fort kids no more. When you want to talk about the whole big picture of the Appalachian Mountains being destroyed, uh, you know, we like to look at the Appalachian Mountains. We are the sponge. We are the filter. And we distribute the water to all the bigger cities around the nation. And, and it's happening to our children. It's happening to our backyard right now. But actually, this is everybody's backyard. This is where everybody's water comes from. And, and people around the nation need to stand up and look at this. Hey, you know, there's no such thing as clean coal. There's other ways we can uh, create energy. And, and we need to stand up. And, and just, just for the water reason alone, these mountains, the Appalachian Mountains, ought to be declared a national monument just, just for the water issue alone. Thanks, Ed. Um, we're, we're running out of time. I'm, I'm really glad we had you on the program uh, today. Um, and we look forward to hearing from you again. And I hope the people of Houston can uh, get involved. Well, this is their backyard, too. This is, you know, uh, everybody needs to stand up now. This is the perfect opportunity for America to to be part of something really great. And this is something everybody can be involved in and, and have control of their environment. And, and this is controlling their pocketbook, too. So there's a lot of ways to look at this. And everybody in America can stand up and be part of this, you know. And, and you asked what a tree hugger is and what an environmentalist is. A lot of people say, well, what's environmentalist? And you'll hear a lot of different things. But to me, what an environmentalist is is somebody that cares about human life. Without the environment, we mm. not have no human life. And? Uh-huh. I'm sorry, we have to take a, a break for station ID. Okay. Um, this is KPFT Houston, commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio. And we're doing an open journal today called The War on Appalachia. And we were just speaking with uh, Ed Wiley with PenniesForPromise.org. Thank um, you, Ed. Next, we're going to hear a little bit from uh, Maria Gano with uh, Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition. Correct. Hi, Maria. Are you there? I am here. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, well, first, could you kind of give us a little um, bit about your background, uh, how long your family's actually been in um, that part of West Virginia? Sure. Uh, my family has been in the southern part of West Virginia, in Boone County, West Virginia, uh, since the 1700s, the family home place that I now reside on has been our family home place since the 50s. 
and um, you and your family live um, with a, a mountaintop removal site in your backyard, am I correct? We do. Uh, unfortunately, we do. Uh, myself and my family have been adversely impacted by by it flooding, blasting, um, just uh, land subsidence. Uh, it, it's just been horrible. Uh, the coal companies have created a nightmare for myself and my family on our family home place, the place that's always been safe for us. And the river by your house has flooded over eight times. And how much of your front yard have you lost exactly? It, the, the creek at what one time was a small tributary to Pond Fork River known as Big Branch Creek has flooded now uh, altogether nine times. Uh, and let me say that my definition of flooding has changed through the years. <laughs> um, and basically what's happened is the coal company has blasted the mountains off behind my home and put, them, put everything but the coal into the headwaters of this stream. And it has manipulated this stream uh, and caused uh, catastrophic flooding here on my family home place. And there's been approximately five acres of land that's just turned into mush, literally turned into mush and washed away. In the documentary, uh, Burning the Future, in Times Square, you say, do you realize your connection? You're actually shouting this. Um, how can the people of Houston realize their connection to mountaintop removal and what's going on in the Appalachian region of our country? Well, one way that they can find out is they can go to ilovemountains.org and click on the My Connection link, and you put in your zip code, and it tells you exactly where the coal comes from that is firing your coal-fired power plant. Um, and it's, um, it, it's very explanatory about uh, what mountain and what mountain people have been sacrificed to supply energy. And... Uh, uh, one way that, uh, that I have to agree with Mr. Wiley, uh, everyone's water is connected to what's going on in southern Appalachia. Uh, and uh, water, I'll have to agree with what Dick Cheney says, believe it or not. Water is the next generation's oil. Uh, we, the headwaters of the Mississippi begin right here in West Virginia. And all of the streams nearby where I live at, the Department of Environmental Protection has permitted these streams to be pollution spillways. Now, we are definitely not the only ones downstream from what's going on. Uh, this will impact many generations to come, not just right now. I, I've seen the um, the Google Earth program um, that they have on the I Love Mountains website, and it was pretty it was pretty intense. Um, yes. We've actually been in a, a fight against Dynegy for building six new coal-fired power plants around the nation, and surprisingly, the uh, the Wells Fargo Plaza skyscraper in Houston is not even as tall as some of the um, some of the dams that are holding back the sludge. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the sludge dams here in Boone County, West Virginia, are uh, they're a nightmare waiting to happen is what they are. And in 1972, we did have one of these uh, sludge dams that failed, and uh, it, it 
washed away a town called Buffalo Creek. Uh, I mean, it literally, um, it killed, uh, I believe it was 160 some people that it killed. It left 4,000 homeless. And that, you know, that, that, that sludge dam was very small compared to the ones that they have nowadays. Uh, Brushy Fork is near a thousand foot tall. And this is an earthen dam. Uh, and in its completed stage, it'll hold back nine million gallons of coal sludge. And it, you know, I mean, we live in the valley. Uh, of of these nightmares and if if we would get a torrential downfall of rain i will guarantee you that we will have problems here with flooding whereas we used to not have these problems but now we are damming up our mountain valleys and filling them up with toxic waste and it, the the cleaner cold gets to burn the more of the toxic waste that we end up with here in southern West Virginia. Uh, so there, there is no such thing as clean coal. Uh, clean coal is an oxymoron, and it's a propaganda that's put out by the coal energy, uh, coal and energy industry. From and they what want I the, understand, they want the American people to bite into this. From and what I understand, um, the clean coal was like a thirty-five million dollar marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it is basically this clean coal myth that they have started is to cover up the dirty lies and the dirty uh, way that they're doing people in the coal fields throughout Appalachia and in the areas where they're burning coal. You know, for the, for the people that don't experience what we're having to go through with the extraction process of coal and the burning process of coal, for the people that don't have to experience that, let me say first, they're very fortunate. And so... But they are blinded by what they, by what they see. Don't believe what you see when it comes to coal, because the biggest part of what you see is lies. You have to dive in and find out for yourself. And so um, these large companies like Massey Coal, uh, they don't offer anything to the people in the Appalachian regions where they're taking this coal from, correct? Is is it's just like down in the Gulf Coast where you have offshoring three miles offshore and they don't have to pay any money to the state of Louisiana. It's kind of the same kind of thing going on there, right? Right. It's... Sort of, yes. The, the, a lot of the money that's made from coal goes out of this state. Um, and, and one thing that it has definitely left behind is the path of destruction and poverty. And, and uh, you know, it, for the past, uh, a friend of mine by the name of Terry Blanton uh, has made this very plain. For the past 150 years, they've mined coal in Appalachia. Appalachia is still just as poor as it was 150 years ago. There is a few local jobs that comes from these operations. And most of the jobs that come from these operations are out-of-county and out-of-state jobs. Uh, the the people that even work on the railroads here, the biggest part of them is from, from Florida. You know, um, it, the jobs here, it's just not for local people. Uh, they don't want people here. Uh, basically, the truth of the fact is, if it wasn't for the fact that they needed labor, they would be no one at all living here. Um, 
Now, we're going to have a little time at the end of the program um, for a few uh, phone calls. I would also like to uh, introduce our next guest, um, Chuck Nilsson, also with the uh, Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition. Chuck, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Chris. That number to call is 713-526-5738, and you're listening to Open Journal on KPFT, always commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio. Okay, Chuck. Um, now, from here in Ed and Maria, I just I get this feeling that uh, that they don't want you there. I mean, now you, a lot of you have, have lived there for generations, and it seems like corporations are just trying to drive you out of your homes. Yeah, that's basically what you know. They want their way down here, and they know what they're doing by using this type of, of mining or contaminating our water or destroying our land. And uh, they're polluting our air, too. At the same time, they're making it just unbearable for a person to live in these coal fields anymore. And, uh, you know, it's just not right since people have been there since generations because it don't really have to be this way. Um, you know, I worked in the coal mines for 30 years, but I worked underground, and I wasn't on the surface mining. And, you know, this this coal thing, they're going to mine these coal things. And... You know, we would like to see them do it in the traditional way and not, you know, blow up the mountains and destroy our water and, uh, you know, do it that way. And and really, I mean, uh, the coal industry would like for a person to think there's 200 years of coal left, but there's not that much coal left, I'd say 20, 25 years. Um, but, you know, it's a depleting resource. It's, it's, it's non-renewable. And one day, you know, coal's going to be gone. And, uh, but they're going to, you know, get every lump they can in this industry. That's the power of this industry. Uh, you know, they own our state government and our state agencies. They're there to, hand, to just issue permits, not enforce the law. And, and, and we're talking about one of, or the most biologically diverse uh, temperate forest, am I correct? Yeah, it's the it's, uh, second only to the rainforest. And, I mean, these mountains and the people here that live here and has lived here for generations, uh, there's a connection that you have to understand with the people and the, and the mountains and the land. Uh, whereas we get a lot of our herbs, we get a lot of our ginseng, we get a lot of uh, uh, all kinds of things, you know, medicine we make from things we gather in the woods. Plus we have an abundant, you know, source of wildlife here that we hunt and stuff a lot. And those places are being destroyed. Um, now, you work in some of these communities that are um, basically in the shadow of um, death, I mean, almost. Can you describe some of what you see going on in the communities? Well, right now, in a community we've been uh, working in is, is what the co-industrial will do, is they'll go down and uh, they'll, they'll more or less say, well, we want to buy everybody, we don't want to buy nobody. And they start getting the, the communities divided amongst each other. And that's their main goal is to divide things. As long as they keep people divided and they're not, you know, uniting and talking about things, then, you know, they're winning the game. But, you know, uh, and a lot of these people in this town don't want to move. And I don't think, it, you know, they should move. That's their, their right to live, though. They've been living there for generations. They just happen to be 
the last town up in the head of this hollow, and it's been there for centuries. And you know, they're, and they're basically, you know, the 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 little towns that's up in the head of these hollows, they're the ones they're doing away with. Um, this question's for Maria. Um, I understand that uh, you actually uh, won a, a lawsuit or a case against um, uh, Valley Fills, and that uh, subsequently you've had um, threats against your life and your family. Uh, we have had, and, and what it was, I testified to stop a, a Valley Fill. It was an illegal permit is what it was. They gave the Army Corps of Engineers and the Department of Environmental Protection. Uh, we have to constantly follow the permits to make sure that they're legal permits, and in this case, the permit was illegal, and uh, I testified to stop this illegal permit, and yeah, there was uh, quite a backlash of, of violence against me and my family, um, because of, uh, basically because of the fact that the coal company got illegal permits uh, to do this operation under, and um, when we called them out on their illegal permits, of course, men was laid off, and the company basically told um, the men that, you know, it was our fault, that it was OVEC's fault, and specifically my fault that they was losing their jobs. And uh, what it done was created a huge um, uh, dislike for me in my own community. <laughs> um, my, my face was posted on posters in the community. I have wanted posters uh, as a job hater. <laughs> that was put up in my local community. And, and this necessarily wasn't the local people that done this. Um, it was the people that worked these mine sites. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's been uh, quite interesting, uh, but I'm not the only one going through this. Uh, any person that lives in these communities that, that fights against the atrocities of mountaintop removal coal mining are facing the same threats of violence that I put up with right now. And some of these, in some cases, these are elder people. And you, you have um, coal company representatives coming in and telling these people that they need not grow a garden this year because they're not going to be here to harvest it. You know, and uh, it, it just creates such a horrible life for these people. And, and uh, the coal companies that do not care what they do to people. They absolutely, they've never known to care. <laughs> They've never been known to care about what they put people through. And so how do people deal with, um, I've heard about people's tap water coming out black. So how do, how do you deal with a situation like that? I mean, when you've got black tap water coming out, can you grow a garden? Do you take your showers? Do you drink your water? Right. My water has been polluted with selenium. Selenium causes cancer. Um, my water runs clear. It looks clear. <laughs> um, if I didn't know, I would be drinking my water. Uh, so that's something that's very dangerous, it is that some of the chemicals that are being put into our water, um, it, in our surface water and our underground well waters, some of the chemicals that's being put into this is invisible. You can't see them, you can't smell them, but they're there. And in some cases, it's taken years for these chemicals to affect people's health before they knew that something was wrong, something was wrong with the water. 
Um, and at this point, the damage is done. In a lot of these communities, the damage is done. We have people that their health is adversely impacted by the quality of water in these communities.